Well, before we get into the message today, I am glad to be back with you talking about Dream House. But I just want to remind you a little bit of, about last week. You know, we said we have a few things in common. One of those things is that we all in our lives, we want a little more peace, a little less tension, a little better connection with those that we love. How many would like to have all three of those? Okay, like three of us. All right, so we want a little more peace, a little less tension, better connection with those who we love. And the way to do that is to live our life God's way. And so the big idea for this whole message series, is pretty simple. God wants his people to win at home and the Bible will show us how to do that. And another way to say it is, God wants us to build our families his way and in his word, he gives us the playbook. What we talked about last week as well uh, is just sort of the foundation and we laid some house rules for how to build a dream house. And today we're gonna go a little bit deeper and we're gonna talk about the purpose of marriage. And this is a little weightier, a little heavier because now we're, we're getting into, man, why does this thing called marriage actually exist? What is it for? What is it for? And I know many of you are in a, in a season where you are building your family. And this message is gonna be really great for you. And, and for others of you, maybe you've been abandoned by family. You've experienced brokenness. You haven't even started to build your family yet. Or maybe you've already built your family and sent them on their way. And you're here today thinking, man, what am I gonna do with this? Well, you're gonna do a lot because if you're a grandparent here, we need your wisdom, right? If you're a single person, you've never been married, this is the best time to learn. If you're in the midst of it and the throes of it, we hope that this brings some meaning and purpose. And for those of you who've experienced brokenness, Time's gonna come to take a step and to try again. And I wanna encourage you to take good notes. And when you step back in, do it God's way with someone else who's committed to doing things God's way. No matter where you're coming from, I think there's something for you in this. And on top of all of that, if that's not good enough for you, Hebrews 13.4 says this, marriage is to be honored by all, say all. So that's all of us. And so in order for us to even honor this concept, this institution of marriage, we have to understand how God designed it. Now, sadly today, especially in America, but in a lot of places, marriage isn't honored the way God has called us to honor it. And so we as people who are followers of Jesus, we first have to understand, like, man, what is this marriage thing? How is this supposed to work? What is the purpose behind it? How did God design it? And then we've gotta be carriers of his truth in a world that is quickly letting go of it. You know, marriage is being defined and redefined by people in culture. It's being ridiculed. There's a lot of people saying it's stupid. That's out of date. You don't even need to do that. The hard truth is marriage has been very dishonored in our culture today and we're reaping the bad fruit from that disposition. But it's not over, it's not too late. We as the people of God, we can live our lives his way and make an impact in the world around us. So as we get into the scriptures today, I wanna talk to you about six biblical purposes for marriage. Six biblical purposes for marriage. Now hear me, there are more than this. We've only got time for a few, so we're gonna hit six, what I believe are kind of big rocks, and there's some other stuff in here for you as well. Um, number one, God gave marriage for family. Write that down. God gave marriage for family. First Corinthians, I'm, I'm talking to my water and drink my microphone. I'm getting all mixed up up here. First Corinthians 11, 11, it says this. I love how it says in the Living Bible. Remember that in God's plan, men and women need each other. I'll have a drink of water to that. God wired us this way. Men and women need each other. We're, we're designed to go together. That's the way that he made it, right? God is the one, by the way, who thought up gender, man and woman, male and female. We don't need to rethink it. 
He did the thinking for us. We just have to operate in the truth that he has designed. He, he thought up and defined what marriage would be. So guess what? We don't have to do the thinking and redefine it. We just have to learn his mind on it and step into that. God did the, the thinking when he gave us sex and sexuality. He told us what it's for. So we don't have to repurpose it. We have to understand his purpose for it and live in light of that. The Bible says in Genesis 2.18, you heard it last week, you heard it a few more times today. It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper corresponding to him. You see, we all need companions in different areas of our lives. But there's a tremendous companionship that's only found in marriage that produces things that only gets produced in the context of marriage. And that's what we've got to hone in on. Now, Jesus had some things to say about this original institution as well. Mark chapter 10, he says this. It's the words of Jesus. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female, period. For this reason... A man will leave his father and mother and the two will become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, I think there's at least three things that we can draw out of this particular passage. I wanna break this down for you just a little bit before we get on to the next point. But the first thing we can learn from this is that marriage belongs to God. And I sort of started out by saying this, so I'm not gonna belabor it too much, but marriage was God's plan. It's not a tradition that we can change. Some of you uh, around like Thanksgiving time or somewhere after Thanksgiving time, you go out and you bring a live tree and you put it in your house and you wrap it with lights and you hang things on it and you've just decided that that's what you're supposed to do because it's a tradition. There's man-made tradition. Maybe you decided we don't like the Christmas tree. I don't think that's even of the Lord. We're not gonna have that in our house. That's cool. You can have your own tradition of no Christmas tree. But marriage is not a tradition like whether or not you choose to participate in a Christmas tree or not. Marriage was God's design of an institution that all of society would be built upon. It's his plan. So we get that. Number two, we get this, that marriage is between one man, one woman, and God. Right? I was reminded between services uh, by Buddy actually about the, the marriage triangle. You know, you've got man down here, woman over here, and God at the top, right? That is a complete union. And by the way, the closer you get to God, the closer you get to each other. That's how he designed it, right? It's one imperfect man coming together with one imperfect woman, unless you're me, because my wife's perfect, of course, coming together to glorify God. And then marriage is a covenant that's designed to be permanent. And we all know marriages that have not been permanent. But the exceptions don't prove that the rule doesn't exist. In fact, the opposite is true. Exceptions to a rule prove the rule. And the rule is God has made one man and one woman to commit to each other in him for life. That's how it's designed. That's how it's supposed to work. Now, we don't like that so much in our culture to the point that in 2013, a lawyer did what lawyers do, came up with a new way to make a paper for you to sign and then get paid to do it. And, and they did, this, this guy wrote this piece in the Washington Post and he said, I think that we should move past the idea of wedlock and start focusing on something called wed lease. We're gonna just... We're gonna have a different kind of contract now and it's gonna have a term to it. So we're gonna, we're gonna lease each other in marriage. So you get out, you sit down, you sign your six-year lease to play like you're married and then you can just get out of it. No strings attached, they say. Of course, we all know that isn't true. Now, thankfully, as a business idea, that didn't take off, but the concept sort of did. 
People get into marriages thinking this is just sort of like a lease. And when I'm tired of him or her, I'll turn them in and go find another. That's not God's design. That is not how it is supposed to be. Some people want all the benefits of marriage with none of the responsibility, with none of the honor and righteousness that God has called us to. May it not be so for us who are followers of Jesus. I gotta move to number two or I'm gonna get out of time quick. Number two, God created marriage for multiplication. This is just the fact of it. Genesis 128 said, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Some people take that verse a little more literally than others. My dad comes from a seven child home. That's a lot. We know people who have even more than that. God bless your ministry. Uh, Whether you have 15 or one, the institution of marriage was in part designed for multiplication. Multiplication, here's the thing. There are billions of people all over the, the planet. Right, they were born because two people got married and multiplied. Now, of course, we all know people who came into existence outside the context of marriage. Again, the exception to the rule proves the rule. It doesn't disprove it. We also know that some people come into existence through horrific circumstances. And you think, and how could God even be in that? Tragic circumstances. And here's what I have to say to that. What the enemy means for evil and for wickedness, God will use for good. That's a teaser for our next message series, which is gonna be on the life of Joseph. But it is a biblical truth. And let me say this. I know that there are people who want to be parents, but can't actually conceive children. Please hear me. If that's you, and you're not able to have children, though your heart desires to do so, God is not disappointed in you. Just because he established a standard doesn't mean that in our sinful fallen world, we're not gonna experience things that are a little different than that. And God isn't disappointed in you. Not every couple who comes together will be able to conceive a child, but every couple can be a mother and a father. In fact, I heard a powerful story from someone in our church who was trying to conceive and they couldn't for a long time until the Lord spoke to them. Forgive me if I get the details of the words, not exactly perfect, but it was something on the lines of, Do you want to give birth or do you want to be a parent? So they said, we want to be a parent. So they adopted children who are in need of a mother and father. That's a great way for people to step into this role. Also, by the way, the power of spiritual family, and I've experienced this in my own life, is that you can be a mother or a father in the context of spiritual family, even if it's not so in your regular biological existence. Right, and we'll talk about this on Mother's Day and Father's Day. You'll hear me say this a few times a year over time. But if you are a female in the church, you are called to be a mother in that church. You are. It's part of your feminine design, the way God designed you. If you're a man in the church, you are called to be a father in the church, in the house. And there will be young boys and young girls who do not have a godly mother, a godly father. And they will be in desperate need of you to stand in the gap for them and be what they don't have. There is a pathway in the family of God for every man to be a father and every woman to be a mother. Yes, there are exceptions, but the goal is always the same. Malachi 2.15, I like how Eugene Peterson and his interpretation says this. He says this, God, not you, made marriage. His spirit inhabits even the smallest details of marriage. And what does he want from marriage? Children of God. 
That's what he wants. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Children of God, I love that. However you come about having children, biologically, through adoption, or maybe even unofficially, sort of unofficially adopted. Anybody get some unofficially adopted? Mamas, daddies, aunts, uncles, and grandparents. I got a whole bunch of them, right? However you get there, the goal is the same, to produce children of God, to teach them God's word, teach them God's will, show them with your own life how to walk in his ways, and they will become not just children of God, but people of God. This is our call. This is our charge. Okay, number three. Let me keep going. God created marriage for protection. Marriage for protection. Listen, research shows that when we have a father and a mother present in a home, things go better for those children. And it shows us that, unfortunately, by showing us how things go sideways when that is not the case, when that's not the case, all right? Let me just give you a few things here. There's some statistics, and these can be dangerous, and I wanna tell you, if you're here, I'm not saying any of this to scare you. If you're in a fatherless home, or you come from a fatherless home, or maybe you're a single mom trying to raise kids in a fatherless home, none of this has to be your story, but it's good to know what waits if we don't come around each other and be spiritual family like we're called to be. Kids in fatherless homes, according to the U.S. Department of Health, tells us they're five times more likely to attempt suicide. Now, 32 times the average says this, 90% of homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes. 32 times more than what you would see from people, children in a mother and father-led home. 85% of children who demonstrate behavioral disorders come from a fatherless home. The CDC says that's 20% more likely to exhibit behavioral problems if you're in a fatherless home. 71% of high school dropouts come from a fatherless home. That's nine times the national average. 85% of youth in prison, according to the Texas Department of Correction, come from a fatherless home. 20% more likely to be incarcerated if you come from a fatherless home. And there's even darker statistics than that. There's a protection that's available to children when mothers and fathers raise them in the Lord. But again, this isn't always the case. And I am so grateful personally that I did, I did, I had a great dad, but I had some other men in my life as a young man who stepped in and became father figures for me. And I learned a lot from different ones of them who helped sort of mold and shape, you know, and the Bible talks about children like arrows being aimed. I sometimes think of them like the, like the bullet inside of a gun and we need the barrel to make sure that that thing goes in the right direction. And I'm here to tell you, in your home, mothers and fathers, you are the first compression system, but there are more. And this is why spiritual family is so important that we come alongside and yes, we celebrate marriage. We wanna know what it is. We wanna do it right. But when it fails, we wanna make up the difference, step into the gap and still help create the kinds of environments for children that God intended, that God intended. Number four, let me keep going. God created marriage for maturity, maturity. This is not the fun part that you talk about when you get married, right? You're all excited. You got the honeymoon coming up. That's going to be fun. You're going to get to check out from real life for a while and then come back and get slapped in the face when it shows up, but that's all right. We still have a good time on the honeymoon. What they don't tell you when you're standing up there is all of the stuff in you that's going to have to die for that marriage to last. But that's part of God's design. He knows that no other relationship except for marriage is gonna create the opportunity for all of your 
rough edges, and we'll just leave it at that, to come to the surface so that they can be worn down. You know, you see those river rocks and they're all nice and smooth. It was a rough time getting there. Bouncing down the river, bumping into rocks, being knocked over by the water, right? All this stuff. Marriage is like that. And it's designed like that. So by the way, embrace it. Embrace it. When, when, when difficult times come in your relationship, instead of going, man, why is this person being so hard? Go, God, what in me needs to change? Now, sometimes somebody's just being difficult, just being hard. But many times it's actually you that needs to change. You've just bumped into something that the nature of a marriage relationship has exposed. No other relationship has the greater impact than this. And this is why, again, Genesis 2.18, it's not good for man to be alone. I'll send a helper corresponding him to bump into him, to check him, right? To push back, give some other thoughts so that you can become more like Jesus. Learn how to be unselfish. That's what maturity is all about. In fact, that's what a mature person is. It's a less selfish version of who they used to be. They're maturing. They're becoming more of who they should be. The Bible says, and I'm using a lot of different versions today because sometimes I just like how they say stuff. So the CEV says this, Proverbs 18.1, it is selfish and stupid to think only of yourself. There you go. So maturity is to not be selfish, to not be stupid and continue to grow. Listen, if there's anything you like about me, and I realize for some of you that may be a very short list, but if there's anything about me that you like, I can tell you after almost 17 years of being married to Ashley, that there is some things that she has sawn off, rubbed off, broke off, wore off of me. There were some rough edges around the stone named Nathan that being married to a godly woman brought good and positive change to And that is the goal of marriage. That is what we are supposed to do. So men, stop rolling at your your eyes at your wife when she tells you to quit being an idiot. You go, you know what? The Lord's probably speaking through her right now. I should just quit being an idiot and things would go better for me, right? They are there to help us and we are there to help them. Okay, number five, God created marriage for society. For society, I gotta keep moving or I'm going to run out of time. Listen, marriage is a fundamental building block for every community. For every church, every state, every nation, right? Every society, every culture. Marriage is a cornerstone, a foundational stone for the existence and the common good of any society. But then we have problems. We make individualism an idol. Instead of saying, no, we need to be two selfless people to come together to become better. You know, I'm gonna do me and you do you. And as long as we get along, then we can get along. And once we stop getting along, we're getting out. Proverbs 14.34 says this. Righteousness lifts up a nation, but sin brings disgrace to any society. When you study the collapse of great societies, you find a dissolution of marriage at the core of it, a dissolution of godly identity, diversion and a distraction from the purpose of sexuality and gender. All of these things that God designed to be foundational get washed away by sin and the societies collapse in the midst of it. You study Rome and what you find is men were refusing to marry. Why should they? They can just have what they want. None of the responsibilities. Children being raised in a broken home or no home at all. In fact, people didn't even wanna raise their own kids. They would have babies and just leave them on the doorstep for someone else. And this still happens today. 
This is what happens when people turn from God, live selfishly, live for the pleasure of the moment instead of for eternity. They become fools, Romans tells us. Claiming to be wise, they become fools. Worship created things instead of the creator. And this is how this all happens. And by the way, we've talked about it before. I don't tell you to scare you. I tell you so that you will know, so that you know what you're up against. We're dealing with a very real enemy. And his plans are not so concealed anymore. You know, back in the 60s, right, they had the, the records with the backward masking. You know, you play a record one way and it would, you'd hear the song, you play it a different way and they're telling you worship the devil, worship the devil or whatever would happen on all that stuff. It's kind of weird, crazy stuff. The, en- the enemy is not doing things like that anymore. It's all just out in the open. The attacking of basic human design is out in the open for all all to see. He's after, he's after you to confuse you about who you are. Just every time you take a shower, look in the mirror, you won't be confused anymore. All right. He's attacking the gift and purpose of sexuality. He wants to tell you, go do whatever you feel good about doing. If it brings you pleasure, go do it. It must be good if it makes you happy, right? He's attacking by doing that. He's coming after our kids and trying to tell them that you don't actually need to listen to your mom and dad. You just need to listen to somebody else who will affirm every whim that you have as a five-year-old. All of this is contrary to God's word. I know I'm saying some hard things, but listen, there is stuff going on out there. If we don't talk about it, who will? We have to speak truth or we should not speak at all. God designed things a certain way. And even if you're selfish, as I've said this before, even if you just want the best for you, the best thing for you is to do it his way. That's where the blessing comes. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for our community. We don't say hard things because it's fun to say hard things. We say hard things because we want the best for people that Jesus died for, that God made for a purpose, on purpose, with a purpose and a design. I gotta keep moving. Number six. God created marriage to be a symbol, a great symbol of his love. I wanna read for you from Ephesians. It's something you hear in a lot of weddings, but we're gonna talk about it today before we close. Ephesians chapter five, beginning verse 22. It says this, wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord because the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. Already the symbolism becoming clear. He is the savior of the body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands and everything. I know it's uncomfortable. It's what the Bible says. Let's talk about it over coffee if you don't like it. Husbands, love your wives. Here we go. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Oh, what greater sacrifice is it than for a man to lay down his life for someone else, as Jesus did? To make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. All the men said, amen. For no one who ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church, since we are members of his body. For this reason... For all of this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Sometimes the Bible's mysterious and sometimes it spells it out. So Paul goes on to say this. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about, let me make it clear for you. I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself 
and the wife is to respect her husband. There is no other relationship on planet earth that can more adequately and completely reflect the image of the way that Christ loves the church and the way that the church should respond to Christ. What did he do? He came and took our place. He died on a cross for us. He gave his very life for us. And what do we do in light of that? We live for him. Sacrificial love. He gave to us. Love, respect for his word and for his ways. We give back to him in the way that we live. This is how it was all designed. And guess what? This is the beauty. This is the benefit. When we as people of God, when we live this way, which is becoming increasingly countercultural, when we live this way, it will cause people to go, look at my life and I look at their life. And I think I'd like mine to look a little more like that than this. Brag on my little brother for a minute, but I've had many men tell me, and I get around Mike and Elizabeth and I see their marriage and I think I wish my life was a little more like theirs. You know why? Because they're just trying to live life and love each other the way Christ loves the church. Not perfectly. Make plenty of mistakes, I'm sure. Just ask them. They'll tell you. But because they're committed to this, to God's design, people see that and go, I kind of like my life, my marriage, to look a little more like yours. And when all of us as followers of Christ do that, and people in our orbit begin to look at us and go, man, that's way different than how I thought I was supposed to live. But I think I actually want what you have. That, my friends, is how we change the world. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter what popular opinion is. It doesn't matter what polls say. It doesn't matter what they say at the University of Texas. What matters is what God's word says. And if we can live by that, we'll all be better for it. Why don't you bow your heads? Let me pray for you. God, we thank you that you have designed things for our good, that you are a good and loving God. And anyone who's experienced a good marriage knows just how good you are to allow us that grace and that gift. But Lord, right now I wanna pray for those who have blown it, those who've messed up and fallen short. God, I thank you that the call is not perfection, but the call is to get back up and to follow you as best we can. So Lord, I pray for those who have messed it up that today they would get up and they would begin to follow you in your ways. Reconcile if possible or live righteous the rest of their life, whatever it looks like. Lord, I pray for those who have been abandoned and abused and, and left behind. Lord, I thank you that you have left no one or that you've never forsaken us. And until the final trumpet blows, there's still an opportunity for mercy to be extended in light of justice that's deserved. Lord, I pray God for those who've experienced loss abandonment, loyalties broken, lies told. Lord, I pray, God, that you would begin to restore and to replace all of the lies with your truth. Restore the brokenness with your wholeness, the turmoil with your peace, Lord. And God, we thank you that you haven't left us to figure this all out for ourselves, but you've given us your word. Help us, God, just to believe it, just to walk in it, whether it feels good in the moment or not. Lord, our hearts are deceitful and cannot be trusted, but your word can be trusted above all else. And Lord, for those who haven't entered into this yet and are still trying to figure out what lies between here and there, Lord, I pray, God, that you would give them wisdom and clarity and peace in the waiting, and that you would make their path straight. 
and that your word would be a light to their feet and a lamp to that path. And as they walk into and pursue marriage, it would be a marriage that functions the way you've designed it. And that through our lives, Lord, all of our lives, there would be a great testimony to your reality, to your goodness, to your glory. And Lord, that we would be people that when others, outsiders, look and see, they would say, I don't understand it. I'm not even sure if I agree with it all, but I want what they have. And in that mystery, that they might meet you, Jesus, King of the universe. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting vintage.church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.